Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hello and welcome to the MMQV NFL podcast. I'm Gary Grambling. And I'm Connor Orr. We just watched 87 consecutive hours of football since, uh, I don't know, uh, early afternoon on uh, on Sunday, and it's a little after midnight Eastern time, and it is really difficult to process what just went down on Sunday night football. Chargers Raiders. That was not only completely unprecedented, but as it unfolded, it was impossible to figure out what exactly was going on. So the preamble to this, as everybody knows, is if the Chargers and the Raiders simply just tied this game, they would have both gone to the playoffs. And so it ended up being this really great back-and-forth football game. But as we went down to the final minutes and the Chargers closed a 15-point gap to tie the score— and then the game goes into overtime, we're all just thinking, okay, like, you know, and we'll get to all the stuff that led to that in, in a minute, but, you know, we're thinking, okay, now do you regress back to your, like, primal mindset here and just try to tie and get both of these teams in? And, of course, they didn't because nobody does the easy thing in the <laughs> NFL, and it ended up being, like, the most wonderfully dumb and just 
lovable thing that has happened in the NFL. It was the perfect encapsulation of the modern NFL, and um, and it was the perfect way to end the season. It was it sort of acknowledged the logic of it, and then just it sort of ignored it when it was all <laughs> said and done. Um, as our pinch podcast producer Dan Bloom pointed out before we got uh, the show started tonight, uh, it was the NFL equivalent of the prisoner's dilemma. And I I don't know they. They they failed it. They I I don't I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure how you <laughs> sort of grade this outcome here. But uh, the Raiders are going on to the postseason. The Chargers are going home, and the Steelers. I mean, man, if you're a Steelers fan, you just <laughs> boy did you sweat that out tonight. Uh, but because it was not a tie, the Steelers uh, go to Kansas City for the wild card round. And uh, I guess let's start with that final minute of overtime there, where it just. It looked for a second, uh, and you and I are both we're, we're both big tie advocates. Uh, we we have you know we've registered with that party uh, officially, and it looked like the Raiders were going to play for the tie, and the Chargers obviously you know the Chargers were very unlikely to be able to play for the win anyway. But the Chargers you would think would be satisfied with that. Yeah, we voted for Joe Tyden, and. Uh, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I thought when once the Raiders like crossed midfield and then ran the ball, I thought, okay, that that is a kneel without kneeling. What Mm -hmm. you're basically doing is you're saying, okay, um, this is the tough guy way of going out. I can explain it away, but I'm basically doing a massive bet hedge and we'll see what happens. And if I pop one, I'll take a I'll take a short field goal attempt. But if I don't, then I make the playoffs anyway, and who cares? What actually ended up happening was they ran the ball first. Brandon Staley got nervous, as well he should. He had one of the worst run defenses in the league this year. Called a timeout, as he would later say, to get his premium one-back run defense on the field. And then they pop one on the premium one back run defense and get into field goal range. So the end of the game was wild. Derek Carr said afterwards that the timeout changed their mindset. So like, I don't know if that meant that they were just trying to tie. And then once they called a timeout, the Raiders sideline was like, screw it. Let's go. I think we noticed a far more demonstrable Derek Carr coming off of the timeout, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to say at this point. I mean, I Staley's getting crushed for it right now. I think it makes sense. Like, you know how bad your run defense is, and you see now that what they're trying to do, so you're going to try to stop the run. His thing was, I knew that they were going to kick the field goal, so I'm trying to make it as long as possible. We'll never know. That secret dies with Rich Bisaccia. Um, But, like, <laughs> do, do you think he would have ever, like, said, like, no, I'm just, I was just literally going to call the timeout, and then they were being jerks about it? it or, uh, I was, I was going to kneel, and they were being jerks about yeah, it? Yeah, it, it, look... Playing for the tie would be the most unraidersy thing you could possibly do. And I feel like that's like the one organization in football where that would just be unforgivable to uh, to not eliminate your division rival when you have the opportunity to do so. So he cannot, and I'm not calling Rich Passaccia a liar, but uh, he cannot admit that ever if he wants to work for the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, that's kind of where we we just land with it. And you're right. Uh, I, I 
<laughs> I don't know. I, I laughed at the thought of it uh, dying with Rich Passaccia because he's going to live a long and healthy life. Right. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Rich Passaccia. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not saying it's coming soon. <laughs> uh, and, and look, he might have coached himself into the full time job there in in Vegas. I don't. I mean, quite frankly, and look, we said this, we said similar things about like Freddie Kitchens and Greg Williams back when they were having success as the Browns interim coaches. So I want to make sure this is properly couched, but it's like, it's really difficult to separate him from the team right now based on what happened in the second half of the season for the Raiders and the fact that they are not only going to the postseason, but they actually played really well down the stretch. This was not some fluke thing where like, oh, they went out and like, you know, blocked two punts a game and like just sort of got these fluky wins. They just sort of outplayed everyone down the stretch. Yeah, and they come in as the five seed and they're playing the Bengals and as well as the Bengals have played lately um, and they beat the Raiders, um, you know, they're they're still ten and seven, and they're still the Bengals. Like our recency bias, I think, is turning them into like you know the nineteen ninety eight Minnesota Vikings here. <laughs> and so, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. Before they lost before the Super Bowl, like yes, leading yeah. the Vikings leading up to that. Um, I mean, they could easily win that game. You know, uh, you know, I don't think that scares me at all. Um, going out to Cincinnati, so. I think it's great for Rich Bisacci. I mean, I think he locks in the job for next year as long as they play adequately in the playoffs and they don't put in an embarrassing performance. Good for him. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Tougher times out in L.A., though. I don't know. I mean, you just you squandered quite possibly one of the best quarterbacking performances I've ever seen in my life. It was absolutely incredible, and I feel like there was like an underreaction to it to an extent because when a team's coming back like that in the fourth quarter all of us I think kind of get caught up in like okay well they're down 50 points they have to they have to get the touchdown and the two-point conversion and okay and as they go through you just sort of like okay you're just checking it off like a list like all right he did this he did this uh and we sort of don't stop to realize like oh it was it was fourth and 21 and he fired like a tight window throw into the end zone for the touchdown. And then the two-point conversion was just absurd. He he went through like four reads on that. He had to go uh, from the right side of the field to the left side and then ends up flipping like, you know, as he's getting dragged down, just flipping a sidearm ball to the boundary to Austin Eckler. And it was just two absolutely incredible plays. And then he gets the ball back and... Uh, the only look the the only metaphor i could come up with for that last game tying drive was and and connor you're you know you're a marathon runner you have completed a marathon is if like you're running a marathon and then like mile 23 uh they just send like someone out to spar with you like a boxer and then that's what you do for the last 3 miles and uh that's that's kind of what he did and somehow he accomplished it well, at mile 19 in my marathon in New York City, I almost got hit by a Grubhub, uh, like a rogue Grubhub <laughs> guy on a bicycle. He just like shot across First Avenue and, and almost took me out. So I, I get it. I know how I know how Justin Herbert feels. But this, it was just so exceptionally unflappable. And you're right. You go back to the fact that they converted a fourth and 21 from the 23-yard line and scored a touchdown pass to a rookie wide receiver against a professional NFL defense. Like when, when the Eagles had their fourth and 26, like a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. like 
they made shirts out of that. Like yeah. they stopped the world and people still talk about fourth and 26. This was a far more, far lower percentage success uh, play. And Justin Herbert made it look easy. And while there's this strange trend of touchdowns kind of in, against similar uh, coverages in the NFL, like happening this year, like it, it looked like almost like a reverse field version of the Jared Goff touchdown against, um, against the Vikings. Like it was like a mm-hmm. similar kind of deal, but how the hell does that happen? Like, how do you fit the ball in like that? Um, I mean, the, the entire thing was just amazing. I mean, if, if I'm the chargers, I just, right after that game, I just say, will you, will you take $60 million a year and just, yeah. And promise never to leave us. <laughs> oh man. I mean, he just, he, he carried this team more than any quarterback. I feel like carried a team this season. And uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's a tough way to go out. And it is, it's just a frustrating team because obviously the quarterback is, is there and he'll be there and they'll have their opportunities. And then the head coach is good and he'll stick around too, obviously. But uh, I don't know that, that defense just has so many holes in it, but they've, they've tried to, they've tried to address it. They've signed big free agents. They've spent early round draft picks on these guys. And uh, you know, they, they couldn't stop the run in the end, which is like, what is, what is this? Come on guys. And, and what is, yeah. I mean, I think you can go back to Brandon Staley's time with the Rams and look at their historic run there and say, okay, that defense works a lot better when you have Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald changes literally everything in the run game. But shouldn't you, through the aggregate, given the talent that the relative talent that you have on that defensive line, not be able to recreate Aaron Donald because no one can recreate Aaron Donald, but at least put up a representative run defense, like a, a league average representative run defense. But we've seen throughout the season that that just is not possible for them. I mean, they were thrashed by Rex Burkhead this year. They were just, they have been serially gutted down the stretch and Raiders knew that and they knew exactly how they wanted to approach it at the end of the game and exactly how they were going to get into field goal range. It's just it's a bad defensive line outside of Bosa. It's a, it's not a very good linebacking core. Um, I will say, and it's funny, like we were much 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 younger when this happened. But uh, that drive at the end of the first half, that touchdown drive for the Raiders, <laughs> was like just the weirdest touchdown drive you could ever imagine. I mean, they they run and convert a third and twenty three on the ground, and then they get that defensive pass interference call, which I don't know. It, it just I wish the officials, and I know it would have been technically incorrect, but I wish they had just split the difference and just call it like illegal contact or something, uh, because the ball was not catchable and it's just it was a broken play and you're just rewarding the offense for I don't know existing at that point. Yeah, there was a lot of you know strange calls, strange officiating. I mean, there was ultimately the um, you know ultimately the reversal of the ball placement on that uh critical catch and then i think on the following drive the look on cleet blakeman's face when he had to announce that there was a defensive holding on that fourth down like the anticipation of the screaming that was going to be directed at him um he, he just looked horrified he's like we already reversed the spot this is a stadium full of conspiracy theorists who already believe that the NFL is out to get him. 
what are they going to do when I come out of here and tell them, <laughs> sorry, this is going to continue because of a phantom holding call? Not not a phantom holding call, was it? You know, but, yeah, a legitimate call. Um, yeah, it was a legit call. Yeah. It was just, it felt like, I'll say this, if I was a Raiders fan that went into this game already like slightly vigilant mm-hmm. about the fact that the NFL was trying to screw me, I would have left completely 800% convinced. <laughs> If Cleet Blakeman was more savvy, he would have pretended it was a microphone malfunction and just uh, just sort of let let the you know instead of getting into one big scoop, just let the let the rage just sort of you know dissipate over a, a longer time period. At that point, yeah. Oh boy. Well, we have other games to talk about, Connor, and uh, we are we're going to go back in time here to the one o'clock games and the other one that had the big playoff implications early in the day, and uh, that was out in Baltimore. Steelers Ravens. So uh, yeah, the the Steelers. I don't know, man. Uh, the defense is wonderful in many ways, but uh, you know, I, I, I've written about this. I've talked about this on the show. It's a really bad run defense, which I can't in my lifetime remember the Steelers having a really bad run defense. They they finished last in the league in uh, yards per carry, to, excuse me, yards per carry allowed at 4.99. That is the worst in the history of the franchise. That does indeed, for anyone tracking it, surpass the 1934 Pittsburgh Pirates, who allowed mm. 4.97 yards per carry. So that uh, that is now the worst run defense in franchise history. And uh, the offense is... is you know, borderline unwatchable if, if we're being honest about it. And yet here they are. They, they you know, go out to Baltimore. They win the turnover battle 3 nothing. They uh, just kind of hang around. And now they are playoff bound after having to sweat it out Sunday night. There are, um, you know, there are Steelers fans out there that still want Bill Cower back. And I, Bill Cower was a fine head coach. He was a good head coach. Don't get me wrong. But like Mike Tomlin to even have the team in position to do something like this, this was maybe the most impressive nine win season that I've, I've ever seen. And given the talent level that he's working with Ben Roethlisberger is at best, like a very large statue on wheels that you're just foisting around and trying to make work. And, you know, there were very large segments of this game where it looked like everything was slipping away and they just, like it's the most unbeautiful sort of just like plotting, crawling back into contention kind of ridiculousness. I mean, a reverse to chase Claypool, like all these like just weird things that are going on, and and they're, I don't know, they're in the playoffs. Like I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to play against this team. Like at first, your first reaction is probably like, yes, like I get the Steelers. We're just gonna beat up on Ben Roethlisberger. But then I'm like, I don't know. Like something weird could happen here. This is a weird team. That's a that's what the Bills thought early in the season, and then all of a sudden you get a uh, punt blocked and uh, weird stuff happens. I wouldn't have minded if I were a Ben Roethlisberger, uh, you know, on field uh, supporter. If this was his sort of swan song here, if this is how it ended with an overtime win where he drives for the winning points. In Baltimore, uh, I think that would have been a nice way to end it. Uh, you know, let's see what happens against City next week. But if they go there and, and sort of get pace at 42 to 14, uh, maybe that's a little less glorious. But, you know, he put together a couple of drives late when they needed to have them. And that just kind of, 
That's what they do. They just sort of hang around unless they don't hang around. <laughs> when they don't hang around, they just lose by 30 and then we all get to go home early. But, you know, nine times this year, they just sort of hung around and then stole games late. I would have much rather seen Baltimore in the playoffs. Like if we could have had it the other way around, I think I would have taken that. And even if it was Tyler Huntley, like I would have, I would have probably preferred that. I think they probably had a slightly better chance of pulling off some sort of an upset against Kansas city. If this is how it uh, went, but I, I agree. I mean, what is, what is better ultimately if you're Ben Roethlisberger? Do you, I mean, you probably want to play one more game, but maybe not like, you know, you're retiring because you're tired, you know, like you're, you're, uh, you know, if you're Woody Harrelson at the end of True Detective, are you going out to get the Yellow King? Or are you just like, you know what? I've got my security business. It's time to hang it up. Hang, hang up the shoes. Hey, guys, it's Rich Davis from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 49ers Rams. All right, so the 49ers end up getting a comeback victory in Los Angeles, knock off the Rams yet again. I believe that's six in a row now. But uh, look, the story in this one, they're down two touchdowns at halftime. They're actually down 17 late in the first half. Jimmy Garoppolo had to bring them back. They were not dominating on the uh, ground like they did last time against the Rams, and like we've seen them do quite a few times this year. Garoppolo and the passing game had to bring them back, uh, and they did, and they put together a really impressive 88-yard touchdown drive to force overtime in this one. Uh, they had no timeouts. Uh, there was 87 seconds left. They got it done. So, uh, you know... <sighs> I don't want to overreact too much to uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's performance here. He's done this in the past. I mean, we, we kind of have painted him as, as I don't know, well, not we, but just people have sort of painted him as sort of this incompetent quarterback who, uh, you know, the system has to win for him. He has to get a big lead, et cetera, et cetera. We saw him do this a couple of times during that 2019 season where he had to bring them back in games, and he did. And this was another example of that. Yeah, I was going to say, don't put words in my mouth, Gary. I always <laughs> I always loved Jimmy Garoppolo. I didn't spend the entire offseason writing about Trey Lance. Um, this was, a, yeah, this was a, not a season-defining drive, but a nice thing if you're the 49ers where you can put the game in his pocket. I mean, I think, what, they had four passing yards with five minutes left in the first half. And mm -hmm. I think it was a nice touch that, you know, it did show that they were able to, 
win a game that they didn't dictate schematically from the beginning. Like the way that we saw them beat the Rams the last time was to come out and to have that punishing drive and to run the ball effectively. And it's nice to know that your quarterback can back you into wins like this. And obviously having someone like Debo Samuel is, is a huge help and George Kittle being healthy. But, you know, rarely do you see them scramble to come back into games. And I think that that's a huge confidence booster for them as they get into the playoffs. And as far as the Rams go in this one, uh, they came out in the first half. Look, I'm not going to say they shut down the 49ers offense uh, or shut down the run game. They obviously contained the run game much more effectively uh, in this one than they did last time around. But uh, they just seemed to come out. You just got that sense that, you know, this was sort of a – We've been hearing people say we're we're a little too soft. Uh, perhaps they heard Jenny Rentis say that, and they just sort of, you know, whatever, put the clip on the bulletin board, and that's the way it went. But uh, it, it was a first-half performance that just sort of seemed to be a really fired-up defense, a we're not going to get steamrolled no matter what happens in this one. And uh, and they delivered early, and look, they they took the ball and uh, you know off the opening kickoff and and put points on the board this was playing out the way they had it scripted early on and then it just got away from him in the second half yeah so one of the one of the plays that i wrote down from this game was like the rams are up three nothing it's third and eight um they're going down to score again i think to go up ten nothing and you have cooper cup just one-on-one with dante johnson like how does that happen how on earth does that happen? And it was so cool because um, Game Pass is absolute trash. But um, on YouTube, I just kind of watched it a bunch of times on like quarter speed. And you actually did get a pretty decent angle on it. Um, but the way that he was able to just manipulate and abuse leverage was just it was clinical. And it's it still blows my mind that like the right now too high shells what we're seeing everywhere. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what. You know, and Cooper Cup wasn't even in trips on that. But for majority of the game, he was coming out of trips like he is every week. That's the defense that you're supposed to be able to use to stop trips. And nobody can mark him coming out of the backfield. And I just, I, I thought at some point somebody would have figured something out. But here we are, week 18, and he's still just sliding out of coverage completely undetected. I don't know how you stop that. No, absolutely. Look, he uh, he stems his routes as well as anyone in the league. He, uh, you know, I, I think Matthew Stafford had said it. Uh, his body language on these option routes is as good as anyone uh, in the league. It, it really does communicate to his quarterback where he needs the ball put. And that's why it's working right now. And on the Rams, what looked like was going to be the winning touchdown drive when, you know, they, they got this sort of fluky tipped interception to stop the bleeding. And then they, you know, it was a tie game, 17-17, and they, they ended up taking it down the field. It was two just sort of, you know, superstar player. It was Stafford to cup on two plays, one a third down conversion where Stafford was, uh, and he was under heavier duress all game. And he ended up standing, standing in and just perfect touch throw uh, over the top to, uh, to cup. And then the, uh, you know, the, the touchdown throw to the back corner of the end zone that looked like it was the winning score at that point. And you just kind of, you know, if you're a, a defender, you just sort of shrug your shoulders and just say, it's kind of unguardable at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's the only thing that we have in the NFL that's even close to reminiscent of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And it's cool that they were able to build that kind of chemistry over the course of like basically just one offseason. But I, I 
I've I've never seen um and unless some coach is sitting on something, which I think it might be interesting. I mean, maybe if you're I mean the 49ers, you needed this game, so you threw everything you had at them, but I wonder if somebody's just like sitting on something, some sort of a variation on the two high shell where you can just detect him immediately and beat the crap out of him and not let him out because what's weird about the Rams is like that offense is still very automatic and it's going to put up points. But I think it's probably equally as vulnerable as it was in 2018 going into the game against Belichick, right? Where it's still like a thing where if you pull one thread, it feels like the entire sweater crumbles. I don't know a lot about sweater construction, but I would, you know, (laughs) I, I just picture like an old woman just getting really upset. If you just like pull the, pull the thread out of one thread out of a sweater. I don't know. And Cooper (laughs) cup is the thread to complete the awful metaphor. He's, he's the old lady. (laughs) Yeah, it it was. And there's going to be a lot of hand wringing about Matthew Stafford and the game ending interception, et cetera, et cetera. The Rams surely had to know coming out of the two minute warning in overtime that it was over. They had already won the division. The Cardinals had lost their game to the Seahawks. Sorry to spoil that uh, for later in our show. So they came out and basically just chucked a deep ball for Odell Beckham. And it was kind of like, well, if he catches it and he runs for a touchdown, awesome. Let's get out of here. But either way, let's just get out of here. And that's kind of what that throw was. Yeah, you know, we have covered kind of extensively like the bad picks that Matthew Stafford has made. And I think that there were some kind of critical judgment errors that he made. But I don't have a problem largely with any quarterback making, you know, a a calculated aggressive mistake to a receiver who, you know, you're you're if it doesn't matter all that much, you're going to want to give those opportunities to him anyway, because I think it builds confidence. And, you know, those are balls that, you know, you're just not necessarily going to have time to throw a ton of those in practice either. So, I mean, you just want to be able to develop that, that deep chemistry, that touch and, and to see where he likes it down the field. So the 49ers go into Dallas next week. The Rams, meanwhile, uh, host the Cardinals in the wildcard round. We'll, we'll get to that Cardinals game in just a little bit. But as far as 49ers go, this stylistically, I mean, yeah, they want to dominate on the ground, but it's good to know that Jimmy Garoppolo can still deliver late if you need him to. That is within the realm of possibility. And their front four was dominant in this game. Uh, they were absolutely in Matthew Stafford's face the entire game. And that's what they need to be going forward because uh, the cornerbacks are just not... They're just not good enough on this team. And uh, if, if they don't get pressure on Dak Prescott or whoever the, you know, if they win, whoever the subsequent opponent is, uh, they are just not really going to go anywhere. Yeah, that's a tough matchup for them. That said, I do think that what I like about D'Amico Ryans is sort of an ability to say like, hey, I know that. Like, um, it's almost like what the what the Cardinals were doing at the beginning of the year where it's like, hey, I know that. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm going to bring a lot of pressure and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of we'll take our chances there, you know. And, and I think that that's not the, the necessarily the worst way to, to look at it. And, I, you know, Dak Prescott's been good this year under pressure, you know, but I, I think that there were also some times, especially uh, yesterday, that you noticed just a you know a little bit of discomfort when when the eagles are bringing an extra guy or two saints falcons so down in atlanta and and by the way of all the games i did not enjoy watching in week 18 just having to watch the falcons again i know why is this in the a block like the show's like a block i figured you would have just like banished it to the to the netherworld because we get to sort of move it out of the way and acknowledge the fact that the saints 
I don't know. If you're a Saints fan, the Rams have to be your least favorite team at this point, right? Uh, Bucks, yeah. Rams have to be right after that. You had the NFC title game a couple years ago with the controversial non-call on the pass interference, and now all you needed to do to get into the postseason was for the Rams to close uh, that game against the 49ers with a 17-point lead, and they don't do it. So now the Rams, or excuse me, the Saints go home uh, after what was, uh, it's the Falcons, but, you know, really impressive performance uh, on both sides of the ball there to, to beat, again, the Atlanta Falcons, the worst seven-win team in the history of the NFL. It, they might be. I'm not joking. Like, and I know that... Um... The 17th game obviously adds some complications for records, and so we're going to have to go back and and really put an asterisk next to this. So they're the worst seven. If they're the worst seven win team in 17 game NFL history, I think we can say that safely. Um, <laughs> um, we know that for sure. But this caps, I you know, this caps the most impressive uh, nine win season. I would say this about the Steelers too. This this caps the most impressive nine win season I've ever seen. I think by a coach uh, to be able to throw out all the quarterbacks that you've thrown out. Like, you know, people are saying now, I think there's some revisionist history going on with Taysom Hill and what we believed him to be at one point. Like, if you put Taysom Hill on Washington football team, that team would be 0-17. I mean, they, they wouldn't have won a single game this year. And I think that's incredibly impressive um, to recover like they did from from having to start Ian Book in that absolute slaughter in Miami. I mean, this, this is just a super resilient team. They're tough, they're feisty, and... I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the future holds there. I don't think you're getting any quarterbacks in the offseason, but there's still going to be a pain in the butt. It is. It, it's a really good team from 22 to 50, 22 to 53. I don't know why I'm excluding the first 21 players on the roster from two to 53. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we almost boy, we we narrowly dodged a, a Trevor Simeon playoff start. It looks like because Taysom Hill left this game with an injury. And uh, man, uh, we can we can talk about it a little bit as we go on. But uh, week 18 was kind of gross, and the only way to make it less gross is playoff expansion, but then you're going to have some really, boy, you're going to have some really bad teams making the postseason when uh, this thing inevitably expands to an 18-game season, and well, uh, I don't know. we had, uh, you know, let's not, uh, there, let's not totally whitewash the past here i mean we had some tj yates playoff games at one point we had uh connor cook playoff games at one point um, we had a matt moore playoff game matt moore playoff game i was actually brock osweiler brock yeah. osweiler playoff game i think um this is an aside and that you know I, I bet if you did metrics on the moment when everybody leaves this podcast it's going to be right now but um i <laughs> i'm like the, jacoby Brissett is your kind of weird quarterback guy that no one understands your love for that that's matt moore <laughs> yeah. for me and okay. I, I remember like like a lot of times um a lot of teams that i covered as a beat writer um this is sort of like a peek into like i i did a bad job at this so maybe this isn't how a lot of people do this but um when there was a need at a position and it was free it was the months leading up to free agency you would be constantly calling like the agents of the players who represented random free agents that your team had a need for. So if they needed running backs, you were calling like, you know, um, oh, who comes to mind? Um, oh, um, 
I can't save you here. <laughs> uh, who's a good like? Who's like a good really random free agent running back? Like Chris Ivory. You know what I mean? Okay. Like you're just yep. like you're just like God. I wonder what Chris Ivory's up to, and that consumes your identity. But like a lot of teams that I was on needed backup quarterbacks, or if you're the Jets, like quarterback competition. And every offseason, I'd be like Matt Moore. Like why are we why aren't we talking about Matt Moore? Like this guy is like this guy's a winner. And everyone just looked at me like what. What is the matter with you? But I uh, I don't know. I just always really liked Matt Moore. Thought he was a winner. He was good. He was a good backup quarterback. I mean, that's that's I, I'm not sure where the winner comes from, but uh, yeah, he was pretty okay. If no the, Jacoby Brissett. But. Well, that that was my next thing. If the two of us ever had the ability to completely bend time and space, I would, you know, you know, we had all this power at our disposal. <laughs> I think the first thing that we would do is basically make a real life electric football game between in prime Matt Moore and in prime Jacoby mm-hmm. Brissett with completely equal talent otherwise distributed. And we would see who is the real king. Yeah, I could see that being like a multi part. Uh, probably a long form podcast, and you'd want to do a documentary because I want to. I think you want to see that footage too. Obviously, the behind but, the scenes uh, stuff is going to be killer. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seahawks, Cardinals. The Cardinals. I don't know. The Cardinals are three and five at home this year, so I guess losing the division is is not the worst thing in the world at this point because they went eight and one on the road. So uh, they are, as we mentioned, going to go to LA next week. And as far as Seattle goes in this one, uh, maybe the last game for Russell Wilson, maybe not. And Rashad Penny was really good down the stretch. So uh, now you can see the logic in taking him in the first round in 2018. (laughs) It's like it all makes sense now. Yeah. The Seahawks front office is like your parents when you're like in your mid 30s. You're just like, why did you do that insane thing? Like, you know, why why were you never, you know, looking when you were driving? And they're like, it all makes sense now because you're not afraid of cars. And, you know, uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of their plan. But it's funny. I mean, the Seattle, just from an organizational perspective, um, really weird like insidery Sunday splash reports where it was like I, it was like very forceful it's like Pete Carroll is not leaving unless he wants to you know and like everything <laughs> came with a caveat and they're like Russell Wilson is definitely staying and trying to win a Super Bowl in Seattle unless he gets traded somewhere else and it's like you know can we can we come down definitively on something here yeah, like I, I, I don't know if anyone is talking about firing uh, Pete Carroll or cutting Russell Wilson. So uh, those are really informative reports that we're getting. But yeah, this game, I, I mean, I don't know. I, Arizona was, I, I sort of rode this bandwagon early in the year when everyone was yelling at me about it. Everyone in the in the American Southwest now despises me. But uh, it was a team that was just sort of, uh, they were getting a lot of sort of fluky type of statistical things going their way that just it wasn't going to be sustainable when it was all said and done that said I mean boy they gave up 38 points in this one they didn't look particularly good offensively either I'm not sure where you go from this one except you just kind of say well we have Kyler Murray we have a defensive coordinator who's got a pretty good idea what he's doing in in a lot of these games you know figure out some things against Dak Prescott familiar opponent Maybe you go there and steal a game. Maybe you steal two playoff games. Uh, but I'm not sure there's a whole lot of logic to be thrown behind that other than you shrug your shoulders and say, hey, anything can happen, one game sample. 
Yeah, and I don't know. I think once you lose DeAndre Hopkins, like it just changes the specter of your offense. I mean, you're running, you're basically running a bunch of site adjustment routes on every play. And I think the beauty of it before was that you were so hard to defend. And then you ran James Conner up the middle. And, you know, you just, it, teams are in constant conflict with you. And that's just not the case anymore. And it's just, it's weird to see Kyler Murray as like a, just a, an almost an exclusively mid range thrower at this point. Like it's a lot of Zach Ertz. It's a lot of checkdowns and there's not even a ton that they're able to do in terms of like, you know, some of the pretty backfield motion and stuff, but they're, they're not even getting that exotic on that and that front. And, um, I was shocked at their inability to really like they couldn't outmuscle Seattle at all up front, which I think other teams have have done relatively successfully this year. And so the whole thing was just um, not an inspiring performance. They've played poorly down the stretch almost every season, and uh, you know I guess you get JJ Watt back, which is nice. But other than that, what do you uh, what do you kind of hang in your hat on at this point? It is a team that seems to keep some gadget plays, some uh, special teams, fake punt, fake field goal stuff in their back pocket sometimes. So, I don't know, maybe that was the deal this week. Maybe they, they come out and surprise us uh, a week from now. It is, <laughs> to all Cardinals fans, within the realm of possibility that they can win a wild card game. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Colts, Jaguars. This one was the biggest bummer of the day, just because we have a quality team that goes down, and uh, yeah, I don't know. The Colts, a lot of bad breaks early in the season. I, I think this was always one of the top 10 teams in the league, maybe even top five. Uh, but, you know, you got to beat the Raiders at home or win in Jacksonville. You need one of those games to make the playoffs, and you get neither of them, and yeah, that's that's why you deserve to go home at this point. We'll get into what happened from a football perspective in a minute, but I would have to say, like, um, did you ever see The Waterboy? Oh, yeah. The movie yeah. The Waterboy? Um, yep. You know the, the scene where... Um, like they start playing really well against like the University of Louisiana and they start playing the um the the beginning of Tom Sawyer by Rush and um mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. the quarterback looks in the stands and he sees all these like 
wild looking overall wearing Louisianans like just like all goober mouthed and screaming and stuff like that. You remember that part? Yeah. 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 That's most of the movie. That's most of the movie. Yeah. I would imagine that's what it's like to fall behind in a critical game against the Jaguars. Like, you know, everyone, everyone was referencing like the clown costumes, but like I looked out there and I paused, um, I paused the TV at one point and looked out there and it's just like, it's a lot of ill fitted tank tops and like tattoos and just like sunburned, angry people. And like, I don't know if I'm from Indianapolis, like that freaks me out a little bit, you know, especially you're down 14 points. And then all of a sudden you're like, God, I don't know. Like, is, you know, what's going to happen to my car parked out here? (laughs) (laughs) so used to being in your nice pristine indoor stadium this time of year yeah freaks me out yeah this is uh i will not pile on the uh good people of of jacksonville florida who i i really have an appreciation for yeah you're already wonderful wonderful down there. you're already on arizona's shit list so you might not as well not do that I can't do the Southeast as well. <laughs> uh, as far as this game goes for the Colts, I mean, look, it was uh, Jonathan Taylor did not have a superhuman performance. Uh, it, he wasn't he wasn't bad in this game, but he just didn't really get going. Uh, on top of that, they get stuffed on a fourth and goal, and uh, that kind of spelled their doom when it was all said and done. But uh, look, they caught Trevor Lawrence on a day when Trevor Lawrence looked like the quarterback. We all thought he was and and frankly uh, you know a lot of us still think he's going to be in this league but uh Carson Wentz man I uh it, it just a lot of pressure on him today uh and I, I don't mean that metaphorically I mean like he, he was under a lot of duress all, all game Eric Fisher is just not gonna you know I I don't think he's in the long-term plans anyway but it, it's certainly not at this point but Wentz just couldn't deliver when they needed him to deliver. And again, he just continues to do really just awful things late in the down. Uh, they, again, they, they need to they need to ban this Carson Wentz shovel pass stuff. Like, as soon as he begins to throw a shovel pass, or even if an official suspects he might attempt a <laughs> shovel pass, they need to blow the play dead and just give it to the opponent right there. <laughs> Uh, he had another one in this one where, you know, he's early in the third quarter, you know, whatever they're, they're down 10. It's, it's not a blowout or anything. And he goes out there and starts to throw a shovel pass and they end up ruling it a fumble. And it's just, mm, yeah, that's kind of what you got from him this year. He, he, he was much better, uh, than he was a year ago in Philadelphia, which isn't saying a whole lot. They definitely got him playing, uh, within some sort of structure here. And it was good when he was playing in the structure, just, the second reaction stuff with him just goes sideways so often, and that's what end up killing them. It's weird too. It's like um, I, I've noticed well, he didn't look right, by the way, today at all. Like running the ball, like it, he looked like uncomfortable or like sort of injured. And I do wonder if there was like maybe some sort of like almost like a soft tissue thing going on with him. Like it, there looked like some sort of weird discomfort, but like he. Yeah. <sighs> There's a couple things. He looks a little bit like there's like a Baker Mayfield thing to it where if the ball's not out on schedule anymore, everything else is just a disaster. And there's this weird thing where like where Baker floats away from pressure and creates more space and makes throws harder. Carson Wentz does this like weird thing where he just stops and like ducks really hard, almost as if his like 
he's trying to use his helmet to like knock the defender away and then hopefully he's going to pick his head back up and everything's going to be clear but i've noticed that even in philly but it used to work like you remember how many of those plays like he would duck under guys and then run for like 20 yards for a first down it's just not happening anymore and you know to your point i think credit goes to the jaguars there were some nice pressure packages that they brought i thought i mean there were times when he got sacked i think it was half a dozen times but there were times when he got sacked and everything was well covered but there were other times too where like you said once you abandon what frank reich is probably calling um you know and and you're trying to stretch things out and you're trying to play hero ball he just costs his team games and um I don't know what you do there um, because there, there's no coming back from this loss. Like, you know, um, I was trying to make sure that this wasn't hyperbole, but like, you know, I've I've seen a bunch of Colts fans say it today. Like, this might be the worst loss that the franchise has had since like Super Bowl three. This is bad, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And look, going forward, it, it's they're just so close. And, you know, whatever, I, I, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there. If a Russell Wilson were to come loose and they could get their hands on him. I mean, this would seem to be like the perfect situation, right? I mean, they're they're a quarterback away at this point. Uh, we know what the defense can do. We know what the run game can do. Uh, you know, the only real roster hole left tackle is probably what you're looking at. And it's no guarantee the defense plays this level next year, but you know, it's it's <laughs> it's just really tough to to sort of be like, all right, let's run it back with this group. But in all likelihood, that's what they're going to have to do because you're just you're not going to get an upgrade in the draft. Uh, and you know, maybe you get him for a full training camp. You know, we we kind of forget he missed basically the entire summer because of the broken foot. So you get him for a full training camp. You maybe I don't know, wring a little bit more of these bad habits out of him, and and then you have something going forward here. But boy, what a, just, just a, just a bummer seeing this team go away. I know. And I, you know, I I think I'm going to get a lot of flack for it, but when I wrote a column on this game, um, you know, and I, I think Colts fans are not ready to hear this, but it's like, rarely do you see a team who just makes one sensible decision after the next, like every time I'm seeing like the Colts on the waiver wire in the draft, um, making a, a replacing a, an assistant coach or something like that. It's always like the smartest thing. They're just a well-run organization. Everything looks the way it should, feels the way it should, smells the way it should. But this, this is something that knocks you out of orbit. This is, this is akin yeah. to losing twenty, blowing a twenty-eight-three lead in the Super Bowl. I think it's that bad. And the only way to fix this is to replace the quarterback, which I just don't think you're going to be able to do. Like I, at best, I don't know. What do you do? You, you try to do it again. You try to trade for Baker Mayfield or, um, I don't know. I mean, it, like none of these guys, I mean, you've looked at the contracts for a lot of these guys, Kirk cousins and Matt Ryan, you can't move these contracts right now. So yeah. I, I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is. This guy down in Miami who's familiar with the system. Mm. Here we go. <laughs> What a comeback uh, narrative that would be, huh? Or God, or Andrew Luck, maybe. I, he, you know, I don't know. What's he doing? You know, I heard he's having a good time. You know, I don't know, man. I you would uh, you would quit this show if Jacoby Brissett returned to the Colts as a starting quarterback because I would be that obnoxious about it. You would just walk off in the middle of the show one day and never come back. 
<laughs> every every day would just be like the greatest day of your life. Imagine that, you know? It would be like um it would be like Groundhog Day but with no message. It would just be the beginning of Groundhog Day. I've never every- seen Groundhog Day. Is the beginning does he have a good day at first and then it turns into a bad day? No, it's a bad day, right? I I just keep going. I, yeah, I've seen okay. it multiple times. Um and I'm sad to say I just I I can't remember it. Uh, because it was just a long time. Boy, Jenny left the show, but the movie references are still painfully, uh, you know, they're just getting dragged along here, you know? Just just very, very (laughs) surfacey. Like, yeah, I've heard of that movie. (laughs) We could reference anything and the other person would agree to it. It's like, man, this... (laughs) This Jaguars Colts game was a lot like Joe Dirt. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Titans, Texans. All right, so the other half of the AFC South here, the Titans clinched the number one seed with a, a victory over a game. Texans team, David Culley, sort of putting the uh, finishing touches on his Coach of the Year performance here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I we'll, we'll start with the Titans, I guess. They they get the bye week. Derrick Henry might come back for the divisional round, and that's a big deal, although we don't know exactly what Derrick Henry would be coming off this long layoff. I I just, I don't know. I think it's incredible what Mike Vrabel did with a defense that really is full of holes. They have a couple of stars, but it is a lot of holes on that team as well. Uh, I just, it, it's, it's just tough to picture them, even in their own building, beating a team that's good enough to win a playoff game with the way they're currently constructed right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, And it's not like they look like the Colts were like this a couple of years ago, right? Where they were overmanned in a personnel sense, and then they just did a bunch of crazy, unpredictable stuff up front. And then that sort of conflicted offensive lines enough to just help you out and sort of negate some of the lack of pop that you had. I mean, but the Titans have Jeffrey Simmons. They can play a little bit more of something resembling a familiar defense. And they've been carried by a lot of these critical time turnovers that they forced in games. But that all that all comes back, right? I mean, a lot of that stuff, you're not going to get that stuff necessarily. You're not going to play the Jaguars twice a year. You're not going to play the Jaguars in the playoffs. And so you have noticed that while this team continues to stack wins admirably, like they've become less and less easy. Um, you know, they've become less beautiful over time and the opponents really haven't been great either. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like in theory, it sounds great that Derrick Henry's coming back from a Jones fracture, but you're a 270 pound running back coming back from a foot fracture way too early in a playoff game. Like, I I don't think this is going to look a whole lot like what people think it's going to look like. As far as the Texans go, I mean, look, it, it's uh, it's a strange place that they find themselves in. We'll see what they do with the coach, but it seems like they found the quarterback, or not necessarily a franchise quarterback, but the quarterback you go into next year starting and, and you know, sort of keeping an open mind to this guy might be our franchise quarterback. Yeah, I thought that was, you know, at the beginning of the year when we were all doing our season preview stuff, I said that if the Texans won more than a game and they were able to leave going, okay, we can keep Davis Mills on the roster. Like, I think that was a huge victory, Um, Mm -hmm. especially if they had to play Davis Mills a lot. But I think he's good. 
And if the plan is what, you know, it seems like the plan in Houston, which is either to, you know, I maybe they'll keep David Cully. I mean, we'll probably know as soon as the podcast is posted in the morning. But, you know, if they don't, to bring in a Patriots-esque, you know, assistant familiar with that kind of Earhart Perkins offense, he gets rid of the ball really quickly. Um, you know, I think there is, um, you know, it's weird. It's like a, it's like a tall... I don't know. Like I haven't seen a player like him where it's like a, it's like a really quick release. It's a solid frame. Um, he's sort of unique in that way, but I, you know, I, I think there's something, something there. I mean, you know, he's not going to be able to evade pressure really well. Um, we saw that a couple times actually during this game, but he, there, there's something there. I mean, you know, new England's doing it with Mac Jones. I think that, uh, you know, I think the Texans could move the ball with Davis Mills. It's just like if you dropped him into this draft class coming up and I don't want to sort of, you know, make a final say on this draft class in whatever day this is, January 10th. But yeah, I I just don't see a a prospect coming out this year. And I watched a fair amount of those guys at this point. I don't see a prospect coming out this year where you say, okay, this guy has a better chance of basically surpassing Davis Mills. I think there are guys you can look at and say ceiling is higher. But I don't think like percentage uh, chance of becoming a franchise quarterback. I don't think you're going to top Davis Mills with any of the guys in this year's class. No, I agree. I mean, and uh, it makes sense. I mean, you know, I, I think you could see why he fell to the third round there. I think it was a nice value pickup by the Texans at the time was really I mean, that was the only pick they could have made. I mean, it didn't look like they really had any other options with what Deshaun Watson in that situation looked like at the draft at that point. And so I thought it was one of those things where it kind of fell into their laps. It looked good at the time and, and ended up working out. I mean, Tim Kelly too, you know, I, I, I got a few eye rolls at this, but you know, I had him on my preseason um, future head coaches list. I think there was a lot of conversation about him before, um, before a lot of this stuff happened, but he's done a nice job with this team. I mean, you know, you're basically your top weapons here, are Davis Mills, Rex Burkhead, Brandon Cooks, um, you know, I don't know. And you're, you're doing some toss backs here. I mean, you're, you know, you're scoring on some creative plays. I mean, you know, this was, this was not a piss poor performance against the number one seed in the AFC. I don't just say this as a supportive podcast co-host, although I am one. Uh, I like Tim Kelly a lot and I know down in Houston, a a lot of folks are, are not wild about him and, and you know, that's just the way it is down there. But, uh, I think he he did a nice job uh, when he had the star quarterback there. I think he did a nice job with the project quarterback this year. I think that's a uh, he's got a pretty solid body of work over the last couple of seasons here. And here's here's something interesting, and I'll kind of leave it at that. Speaking of um, the quarterback that preceded Davis Mills, is you know put him put him somewhere without Tim Kelly because and I'm I'm not saying like you know Tim Kelly is the guy who figured it all out but there were a lot of concessions and I think it started to resemble a lot of what he was used to at Clemson Deshaun Watson when they were really good and that took a lot of adaptation on his side to sort of blend all that stuff in mm-hmm. together combine that stuff together like we don't know what he looks like outside of an offense that really catered to his collegiate strengths like he goes somewhere else at some point when this whole thing's adjudicated, you know, which is the only time we should be talking about that. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how it looks. Patriots Dolphins. So we go down to uh, Miami here where the Dolphins complete 
the season sweep of uh, of the Patriots. And I don't know. I, I don't have a ton to say about this game. Uh, it was one where the Dolphins have had some nice opening drives this season. They had another one in this one. And then you had Xavier Howard, uh, you know, a little trap coverage on Mac Jones, ends up getting a pick six. And the Dolphins just kind of have enough to hang on when it's all said and done. Uh, you're probably not feeling great about Matt Jones right now if you're a Patriots fan. Uh, you might feel good about the long term, maybe not so much the short term. But uh, I don't know. I, I just I, I, I can't really find any big conclusions to draw from this one. That's OK. I mean, you know, so I think here's the flip side to that. I think if you're I don't think that that Xavier Howard pick six was that bad. I thought that was really nice coverage right like Xavier yeah. Howard is one of the best cornerbacks in the league the way that he was able to make it seem like he was not like playing in zone and fall I think it was Nikhil Harry that he was on wide yeah he's, and, and, that he was going to carry the deep route yeah. yeah and then you know so obviously you're Mac Jones you know I understood you watched him get rid of the ball you saw the timing of it coming out of his hands you saw what he saw and I think if you're Belichick you're like okay I'm actually kind of glad that happened right because mm -hmm. he's going to see it again and again and again and he's probably not going to face I mean you're going into the playoffs but Xavier Howard is one of the best cornerbacks in the league and so you're like okay we'll take that that's a good learning experience we can move on from that but um yeah I mean I thought um there were some, you know, he bounced back. And one of the ones that I really liked, there was that deep ball to Hunter Henry where he kind of got out of the pocket and made like a cross body throw um, on the move. And that's another thing where if you're Belichick, like I'm sure you kind of like seeing that where the more that he can establish the deep third of the field, which he's done this year, I think, I think more than people are giving him credit for, the more you could do that on a regular basis, I think the more that it opens up what really is your bread and butter with him, which is that, you know, 10 to 15 yard, you know, quick strike stuff. Yeah, they're uh, and and I apologize. I know everyone's gonna uh, accuse us of being a I don't know Mac Jones fan show here. I I think he's a solid middle of the pack starting quarterback in the NFL, and that's a that's just fine. But their second half possessions, they got a they got a field goal. They had a long drive that uh, they ended up having a, a botch snap that ended up ending that one, and then they had two touchdown drives. I mean, it was a good number of halftime adjustments. He played from behind and he moved the ball and they put points on the board. And I'm not, you know, again, they wouldn't have won the division anyway, because the, the bills ended up beating the jets. And so it was, it was a meaningless game when it was all said and done. But uh, I don't know. I think this team is in the same spot. We thought they were basically since the last Buffalo loss, which is, you know, they're going to, they're going to win with defense. They're going to win with run game. Uh, but if they absolutely have to score, uh, you know, whatever, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter of a game, it's possible. It is. It is possible. Um, some other kind of things that I just jotted down from this game. <laughs> what an awful looking fake punt that they got away with because of a, yeah. just a, just the worst um, non-contact call. And I know that those are uh, a legal contact call. I know those are tough to make. Um, in the heat of the moment, but it's funny. Like um, every time I do a story on officiating, right? Um, when you request the head of officiating, um, mm -hmm. one of the first things they'll do is they'll say, you know, we're we're getting ninety seven percent of these calls correct, and it's the three percent that people want to talk about. And then I'm always like, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> But it's 97% according to you. And so that's like like you're grading yourself. And so that's like me coming out and saying like 98% of the things that I say on the podcast are not stupid. And it's like, well, 
that's according to me. You know, I'm sure uh, I've I've read the reviews, so thank you guys for writing in. I think you disagree a lot of times, and so <laughs> I, you know, I, I I just you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting uh, thing there. But the only other thing I'll mention from this is that uh that two of the back shoulder to Waddle for that touchdown, maybe one of the best throws he's made all year. Um, I thought that was nice, and the Jalen Waddle touchdown dance. Come on, that's like the coolest. Uh, have you have you seen like I I never oh, yeah. I had never seen that before I missed that. Yeah, I actually you know I started to write about it one week uh, the first time I had seen it. I can't remember which game it was. Maybe the Panthers win uh, because he had a chance to do it a couple of times, and then it seemed like everyone was on it on social media. So I sort of gave up because I I need to uh, I need to maintain my outsider counterculture credit sure. at this point. But sure, uh, yeah, it's a it is the best touchdown celebration in the NFL right now. Yeah. I say that just it, it, it's a factual statement. Yeah, we we were just on COVID lockdown, so a lot of kids' movies and Happy Feet was in the queue um, for the kids, and so it all really came together when I saw that for the first time on uh, on Sunday. Just a just a nice job. Wanted to make sure I shouted that out. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck... You buy Toyota Dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Panthers, Buccaneers. All right, we are on to the lightningish round right now. This is six games we really don't want to talk about very much, and uh, then we'll have a little discussion of the playoff picture and coach firings. But uh, we'll start this one with the Bucks and Panthers. I will say the biggest shocker in this game was the fact that they had Tony Romo doing this one. Yeah, I, I th- he's been hosed a lot this year. Um, mm. I don't know if there was like you know. Uh, well, I'm not. I'm not even gonna like explore that. That opportunity. I'm, I'm, I don't even know why my mind went there. But you know, <laughs> he, he's he's being punished in a way that like makes me think that he did something wrong. Like, I, and I think that they just kind of had an unfortunate slate this year. Like, you can see where they guessed. Um, you know, and you can see the logic behind it. But like, this was just one of those rare years where like they guessed wrong on like everything. Like, wasn't there? there was a particularly desolate game that he did this year. If I can remember correctly, like there was like a, like one where it was like over by halftime and like one of the teams is horrible. I remember. And just like, and, and you could tell he was just like a caged puppy. He was so excited, but just, there was nowhere for him to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a little bit like that. This is a lot like that. Yeah. yeah. Took, Took a lead. And then the bucks just sort of, 
I don't know, did whatever they wanted to do in the second half. Uh, so the Bucks are obviously on to the postseason. They will host the Philadelphia Eagles next week. Uh, and the Panthers, it looks like they're hanging on to Matt Rule, and uh, we'll see if that holds by the time Monday afternoon rolls around. Boy, he is going to have to blow people out of the water with this offensive coordinator hire because you're not getting Russell Wilson. I don't know what you're going to do to upgrade at the quarterback position. And Sam Darnold is just not like, you know, Joe Brady did his best. Uh, I think he had him on the move, which is where Sam Darnold belongs. I think if he can run with the ball and kind of throw that way, he's more comfortable. But I mean, he should have thrown like four pick sixes in this game. And that's not an unusual occurrence either. I think like some of these balls are just, you know, they're not professional grade throws. And, um, you know, it's, you know, you hate to say that about somebody because it's not his fault, right? It's not Sam Darnold's fault that the Jets drafted him as high as they drafted him. You know, I, I talked to, you know, there were coaches who of course will say this now in hindsight, coaches, scouts, whatever general, you know, that'll say they had a third or fourth round grade on him, but it's sort of evident at this point, right. That like, you know, I don't, I don't think you can move an offense along with him. And I, you know, that, that, that was what I kind of took away from, from Sunday's game more than anything. Packers Lions. The Lions knock off the Packers, uh, move themselves out of what, would have been the number one overall pick. I, I mean, the number one overall pick isn't even that uh, that huge a deal this year with uh, the class that's coming up. They'll get a good player regardless. But yeah, I don't know. It, this was this was a nice year for Dan Campbell. I thought it was a nice way the Lions wrapped things up. Uh, obviously, the Packers had nothing to play for in this one, but yeah, they uh, you know they they found a potential star in uh, Amonra St. Brown, uh, Penny Sewell, who missed this game because of uh, COVID protocols. He had a solid rookie year and I think you could see uh basically the you know the, the potential for him being a franchise left tackle uh sort of flashing at points so just a lot of good takeaways for the Lions when it's all said and done here it's one of those games where it was a nice way to end the season for them um it was a good advertisement for Dan Campbell that there really hasn't been a lull. I mean, there's been games where they were just trampled, but I think that's because of the talent disparity. But, you know, I think you can come back largely with most of this coaching staff next year and sell that to the fan base as a positive and something that you did well. Um, you know, on the Packers front, um, the throws that Aaron Rodgers was making early in this game, like no one's going to care about because it was the Lions game, but were absolutely ridiculous. Like he, he was just... Like he was, it, it was like he was throwing to covered players on purpose just to show that he could do it. And it just, it, and it doesn't matter. And I thought there were some really incredible um, moments there. And one thing that was interesting was right before I think they scored um, for the first time, second time, um, he has that little like immediate rollout play where Devontae Adams, it's, it's almost like a running play that they kind of get him behind the line yeah. of scrimmage. Lions mm-hmm. did a really nice job covering that. And I've never seen it covered that well. Um, before out of the backfield. And so that's something that you might like want to file away for the playoffs because if they're in like a red zone situation, that seems to be like their favorite play. But that was, you know, credit to Dan Campbell and their staff there. That was like the best defended version of that that I've seen this year. Thankfully for Green Bay, you have A.J. Dillon, who I think is just going to be an absolute game wrecker in the playoffs. I think he's going to have a monster postseason. He's going to have a James Starks-type uh, postseason here for the Packers. He's going to have a, um, oh, God, what was his name? Um, I'm going to lose it now. <laughs> I grew up a Browns fan, and this is, um, oh, uh, 
he had like 300 yards in a uh, in a season Pey- finale. Peyton Hillis? No, Peyton Hillis? Uh, Lee, no? was it Lee Suggs? Um, oh, Lee Suggs! Wow. Yeah, I think it was yeah, like that's Lee sticking Suggs. Back in. Yeah, and like he had like he had like a yeah like a four like a 300 yard game um, for the Browns at like the end of one season, and uh, I thought this is going to change everything, and it uh, it it didn't. So, you know, but uh, I think that it's going to be different. Like, it's going to be A.J. Dillon's going to be like that, but it's going to last for for a long time. Bengals Browns. Yeah, this Browns Bengals game, it was supposed to be the AFC North title game and it wasn't. And instead we got Brandon Allen versus Case Keenum and a nice way for the Browns to finish a disappointing season. Uh, But boy, yeah, there's not a whole lot to take away from this one. Now, um, you know, I think it was a nice sort of closing the book on the Browns fans uh, who all year were like, why don't we just play Case Keenum? This is why you don't just play uh, Case Keenum. I mean, that strip sack fumble was uh, one of the ugliest plays I think I saw all year. Um, That said to little instructive things there. I did think he had a nice little chemistry with Jarvis, Jarvis Landry. Like, you know, they, they were hitting on some of the intermediate, like some of the deep out stuff that Baker just couldn't throw during this year because of his injury. And so, you know, it makes you sort of somewhat hopeful for next year, I guess, because I think they're going to run it back with Baker Mayfield again, because they have no other options. And if he's healthy, he'll be able to do that. Yeah. It's a, uh, uh... I guess tune in later because we'll talk about Baker Mayfield. Uh, that That's a tease right there. We're going to talk about quarterbacks bum, bum, over the bum. course of the next six months, if you can believe that. But uh, yeah, the Baker Mayfield thing. Look, they're going to shop around for the big names. Uh, obviously, there's, I don't know, anywhere between one and three who could become available, probably closer to the one. And, uh, you know, they're unlikely to land that person. So it probably will be Baker back on a prove it deal. And I don't know. It's again, this is not a Sam Darnold situation with him. Uh, There is (laughs) there is season long tape from 2020 that he can be a quality starting quarterback. Does he get back there with, uh, you know, in terms of health and in terms of uh, how teams sort of adjusted to what they do schematically this year? But, uh, yeah, it's it's not the worst thing in the world to run it back with this offense and hope that your back seven on defense gets a little better chemistry and then you got something going here in Cleveland. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Bears, Vikings. So the Vikings get the comeback win over the Bears. They get like a pick six at the end of it from Patrick Peterson. Very exciting stuff. Uh, and and that's uh, that's about it here. Uh, especially a bummer for the Bears because they don't own their first round pick. So that goes to <laughs> the Giants. And uh, yeah, that'll that'll do it for this one. Yeah, um, really weird. It looked like a Matt Nagy 2018 party there. Like it was, there was so reminiscent of like the Doug Peterson Eagles and the Andy Reid Chiefs from that time. Like those first couple drives, like they were using that that vertical star motion stuff that they were doing with the running back. Um, you know, they were doing the uh, the uh, kind of that all motion shovel pass stuff, and you know, it looked like he was just sort of emptying his bag. He's like, you know. You know, because you're not gonna, you know, not gonna do any other game planning for the year, and like he probably just saw a bunch of the coaches and was like, "Hey, we have this one lying around from 2018 <laughs> that we didn't use. What do you guys think?" And they're like, "Yeah, let's do it." And uh, so that was fun. Um, but the only other notable thing on Justin Jefferson's touchdown, I've never seen a defensive back just give up on the play like that before. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I recognize like you're you're probably standing at the wrong angle, and then when you see the ball thrown, you're like, "Oh crap." you know, and then, and then you can't turn around fast enough and it just looks bad on TV, but man, that stinks. 
it's one of those where is there a way to sell it as a uh you know basically a coverage bust like a miscommunication on the back end and uh yeah it's uh, here here so i i have a friend who works for a major uh this is going to be a treat at the end of the podcast um i have a friend who works for a major cell phone carrier and uh he said that if you ever call um when your cell phone service is bad they're instructed to lie and say that it's solar flares they're just going to tell you that Mm -hmm. it's solar flares and then they don't know what that means i don't know if anybody knows what that really means and so i think that is the defensive back equivalent of like i remember being a beat writer and then being like oh it's just you know i mean you wouldn't understand the coverage and then i was just like well Maybe not, but try, you know, and they're just like, no, because it was like, you know, and then, you know, they're basically just like, yeah, we were in solar flares coverage and, you know, just whatever. And yeah. uh, so that it could have been a solar flares moment for them. Jets Bills. So the Bills clinch the AFC East by beating the Jets at home. This was another windy game. I the, Look, the only thing I've been wondering about with the Bills is the way they play stylistically. Your strength is your quarterback and your past defense. So maybe it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world to go on the road for three playoff games, if they make three playoff games. But uh, I don't know. They, you know, it's just another ugly uh, sort of windswept game out there in Buffalo. Uh, in this one, they they hang on. They beat the Jets. Mark Sanchez did it. Josh Allen can do it. I believe in, uh, I believe in the Bills. But yeah, I mean, uh, my weirdly, my only takeaway from this game is like for the first half, the Jets hung tight, and that's two weeks in a row yeah. now where you played the Buccaneers kind of well, you played the Bills well down the stretch, kind of a nice, um, nice little finish to the season for Robert Sala, who, um, this is no longer going anywhere because I was, you know, <laughs> um, uh, because I got COVID and couldn't go to a bunch of Jets practices, but, um, it was funny. I went on like one of their zooms a couple of weeks ago to ask him mm-hmm. about um, just like what what you learn from your mentors during losing seasons. And he was just like uh, it, it was really like kind of an interesting moment and he, where and, and everyone kind of ha- like he had the back of everyone saying it. And he was just like, this isn't a losing season, really. This is like we knew this going in like this is what was going to happen. And everything's going according to plan. And like the the confidence with which he said that was not like Joe Judgian where you're like are you like <laughs> like are you sure because uh, because it doesn't yeah. look that way it was like oh, okay and then right after that you come out and you play the Bucks tight you play the Bills tight and you end the season on like a like a relatively high note I thought that I mean yes I I can you know Robert Sala does have a way of delivering those things with confidence but I think it would have been better if he could have been like you know take it as a blackberry like I I have 10 emails from fans in my hotmail account <laughs> five of them are in full support of what I'm doing and I think that's how you handle these kinds of things uh and and with that we go on to the the last game of week 18 Washington Giants so yeah, I we touched on this a little bit last week, and we touched on it in the midweek show. And you know, Joe Judge had this kind of soft, uh, you know, we're bringing you back type of thing going on. And uh, you know, I don't think it was completely objectionable. We we've talked about this. He he sort of had Jason Garrett foisted on him to an extent, uh, and you could sort of say, well, you know, let's let him go get his guy and and go with that but uh all he really had to do down the stretch and it was two completely meaningless games that nobody was going to pay attention to uh even Giants fans for the most part but he just needed to avoid embarrassment and uh we had that bizarre post-game press conference last week 
that was just not completely in line with reality. <laughs> and then this week, again, like you just put out these moments where uh, second quarter, they're down 3 nothing. The ball is on their own four-yard line on back-to-back plays, second 11 and third and nine. They just do quarterback sneaks to like set up the punt. And I, I've, I've never seen anything like that in an NFL game. Uh, and it's just immediately something everyone just points to. And, you know, if, if you're a member of the Giants organization, you're you're getting laughed at. Uh, I, I just I, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe you did it again. Yeah, um, the back to back quarterback sneaks thing was wild. And it was funny because did you ever argue with someone who is just so wrong, but they're so confident that you in in being wrong that you can't argue with them you know what i'm saying like yeah oh yeah like, um you know and and you're just like oh my god like you just believe this to the point where i can't and so joe judge was asked about the back-to-back quarterback sneaks because his pre- press conferences have become must watch material for me like you know and sunday like playoff sunday on right before black monday is not like the not busiest time for for us you know but like so to be watching a four and 12 teams coaches press conference after that you you know it just shows you kind of where we're at but he said as quickly as possible they said what kind of confidence is that showing your team that your quarterback sneaking and he goes well i think it shows a ton of confidence in my special teams in my defense and i was just like oh my god like he believes that um, because you couldn't say it that fast if you didn't believe it. Um, and it was, uh, it was crazy to me. Um, the only thing I'll mention from this game and I tweeted it too, was like, I think it was like earlier in the year, it might've been Dallas. And when Jason Garrett was still there and they mm-hmm. ran this, um, like a, like a jet sweep, but not really like sort of like a, a Evan, Evan Ingram was like kind of motioning through the backfield and they handed him the ball off and it was not blocked correctly. And so he uh-huh. just got destroyed like four yards behind the line of scrimmage. And then like, like a couple weeks later, they did it again and it was still wasn't blocked correctly. And then they fired Jason Garrett. And then on Sunday they did it again and it still wasn't blocked correctly. And I was like, how on earth is this still in the playbook? Like, and you're you're not you're handing the ball off to like your slowest players, your slowest skill position players, and you're like you're leaving the play side offensive tackle completely in isolation. And I I, I was just blown away. Like I couldn't believe that. Like. At no point did anyone audit the game plan and say, let's remove the play that 100% of the time has lost at least four yards for us during the season. You just got to play the hits sometimes. <laughs> like that, that, and I'm not suggesting this, but I'm just saying like, if I were a coach who wanted to be fired, that's what I would do. I would quarterback sneak and I would... <laughs> I would it's like a jet saunter you know what it is <laughs> do you know what that play was because you and I did the tech mobile project together a couple yeah. a couple of years ago you and I yep. uh, it was like no it was during the pandemic you and I decided tried to see mm-hmm. who could beat the tech mobile who and I which one of us could beat tech mobile faster and I think it is the Vikings right that nobody wants in tech mobile because they have like a behind the it's like a wide receiver handoff that is functionally broken and two of the four Mm -hmm. defenses that you can call against it just render it a completely useless play that is the play that's the play they're running and i 
I can't believe we saw it again on Sunday. It was like it, it was really it was truly a magical moment. All right. So before we go and we are going to break this down more thoroughly in the midweek show, uh, coach firings. It, it's look, it's it's on the other side of midnight Eastern time on uh, whatever day this is Monday. I guess that's the first day of the week. Vic Fangio, as of this moment, is the only guy who is out. So we are going to talk about Vic Fangio now. If anyone else should lose their job, we will discuss it on the Wednesday show. But uh, yeah, look, Connor, the Fangio move, I mean, this is the second time in a row the Broncos have gone with a defensive head coach with the goal of building an elite defense, and they kind of had a really, really good defense, and it still didn't work. Yeah, so they ended up the season, I think, third in scoring defense. And, um, you know, I've had people kind of point out, you know, I like to go by DVOA. I think that's a good, a fair representation of a defense. And they were like 20th or 21st. And so, you know, uh, scoring defense only has one part of the equation. I understand that. But here's kind of my thought process on Fangio. Like, I'm obviously, I, I thought it was a good hire to begin with. I, I thought that the staff was kind of, you know, especially at the beginning, going somewhere. But you can't hire now another defensive head coach, right? So that makes no sense. That's off the board because your defense is just going to get worse. And then it's going to look weird. But if you hire an offensive head coach, is your offense going to get so much better? And is your defense going to hold the fort enough to, like, make what you just did make any sense like I'm not saying you have to be defeatist and hold on to a coach who hasn't made the playoffs in three years but you're in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert like you kind of have to zig a little bit because you're not outscoring those teams and especially you know what we saw my goodness from Justin Herbert and even in a loss like you know that's the kind of quarterback he can he's capable of being like you're not you're not outscoring any of those guys you have a better chance of kind of keeping them in the weeds defensively and then only needing like 24, 24, 25 points to win a game, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the way they're built right now and, and look, the quarterback is the issue there. I, I think everyone realizes that at this point, uh, the way they're built right now, though, you can't just have a really good defense that keeps opponents from scoring. You need a defense that will also generate some offense at this point. This needs to be a defense, uh, the way they're constituted at the moment, that takes the ball away 30-something times over the course of a season uh, so that you can beat these <laughs> these these super quarterbacks who are uh, going to be uh, playing against you twice a year. So uh, they didn't have that. They had 19 takeaways this year. I mean, that's, that's just not quite enough. And, you know, like with any team, you can't go into a season and say, we're going to have 30-plus takeaways. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So... I guess the one criticism you kind of have of Fangio is, you know, he moved on from Rich Scangarello, he brought in Pat Shermer, he went very conservative with his offense, but uh, by the same token, what were you going to do with the quarterbacks there? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I It's frustrating in general because, like, John Elway just kept hiring people and not fixing the one problem that everyone was like, hey, you know, you... you this is what you're most responsible for. Like, you know, the same thing could be said. I mean, Vance Joseph has arguably put up, you know, uh, you know, assistant of the year performance as the defensive coordinator of the Cardinals, but you forced him through two years of Paxton Lynch and, and, you know, Trevor Simeon and all these guys. And it's just, you know, it's not a fair way to evaluate coaches. And I know everybody goes into crappy situations. And if you're Vic Fangio, you walked into one too, but 
the next head coach has to be able to recruit a veteran quarterback and has to have the power from management to be able to do so, or else you're just going to walk right into the same situation again. If you, if you're agreeing to go work with Teddy Bridgewater again next year, you're just signing up to get fired in two more years. All right, and we're also going to touch on the playoff matchups coming up on Wednesday, but uh, I don't know. We're here. There are 14 teams. We know who's in the postseason at this point, so I guess just fire away with any takes you might have going into uh, the playoffs here. I'm uh, thrilled, I think, that we're getting Buffalo-New England again, mm-hmm. uh, round three. I think that's probably the marquee matchup of uh, uh, that's probably the marquee matchup of the of the weekend. Um I, you know, I don't know. I like the fact that there are so many divisional um, rematches. You know, like we said, Buffalo, New England, you get Arizona and Los Angeles mm-hmm. again. I like seeing, uh, you know, good coaches play each other for a third time. I think that's really interesting. Um, if you're, you know, I, I sneakily like the fact that Pittsburgh is playing Kansas City at a time when Kansas City is st- excellent but imperfect. And, you know, they could you know, kind of represent that sort of, you know, I mean, th- their last matchup was a disaster. Don't get me wrong, but like, I don't know. I don't want to play like a hot Steelers defense in the playoffs and like, you know, things could get weird there. I, all these matchups are very exciting. I would say new England Buffalo is obviously my favorite. My second favorite game is probably going to be San Francisco and Dallas. Cause I'm really interested to see the way that both of those coaches play that one. Yeah, I think the Cowboys are sort of considered a, I don't know, second-tier team in the NFC. I think they're as good as anyone in the NFC at this point. Uh, and on top of that, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to see what Joe Burrow does in the postseason debut here. He gets the Raiders. That's a team they obviously beat up on uh, a little bit earlier this season. But uh, who knows? Raiders are Raiders are hot right now. Raiders just <laughs> they, they just beat the Chargers to uh, get into the playoffs. They won their previous two games while uh, losing the turnover margin by uh, two turnovers. So interesting things here. Take that, Jim Harbaugh. Rich Basaccias goes nowhere. <laughs> he ties no one. The MMQB NFL podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. Today's show was produced by Dan Bloom and edited by Dan Bloom. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB, and Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts, and once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex-
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. 